Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. This just handed to me. Apparently, the white flash is engaged in a arm wrestling match with Xi Jinping. Jack agreed with the Chinese. Hey. Oh, here he is. Hey, everybody. That they would settle the differences between the United States and China with an arm wrestling match. Oh, wow. I had you fighting the Chinese president for supremacy on Earth. How'd it go? Ah, uh, not well. Oh, damn it. Damn it. Where are we? All the trading you've done. We hadn't even begun. Dimly that Roman under the tutelage of our general manager. India. And the COVID. Yeah, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. Honorary, honorary general manager. A good, sturdy iPhone uh, protective case. Why is that? Oh, I paid the stupid tax good over the weekend, having having dropped my phone for the umpteenth time. And it was it was about like yours was, where I risked slicing my thumb open every time I, I went to the home button. Were you riding dirty when you dropped it? Didn't have a case on it or what? Nah, I, I'd let my case kind of deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. It was like 75% of a case. Yeah. And it was it was a little slim too, you know. I've been doing a lot of work on my glutes with the Jean Jacques, my personal trainer, and yes. you know, I when it's in my back pocket, I hate for it to really obscure, you know, the firmness. Mm-hmm. So I've been using a very slim slash useless case. Gotcha. Um, I thought it was interesting on sixty minutes last night. You know, mentioning uh, what you were mentioning that uh, the first two stories I thought were huge. One, talking with Abe Lincoln about China and its rise and its goals. Whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa. Abe Lincoln was interviewed on 60 Minutes last yeah. night? Yeah. In retrospect. Four score and seven years ago. In retrospect, do you wish you hadn't gone to the play? <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, Too soon. <laughs> uh, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was on there talking about the rise of China and uh, men, their military prowess, and seeing their new... Uh, destroyers that they've got, and they're they're all their sailors there, you know, singing the country song and saluting uh, Winnie the Pooh, and um, and that was whew, that was a little frightening. That was like from my childhood, looking at Red Square and them uh, rolling their uh, Soviet military through. Yeah, I would say it's very very much like that, except they're better at it. Much better. China is. Way more money, yeah. Soviet Union could never touch us in terms of economic power. And then What's, the, uh, what's the Chinese national anthem, by the way, that they were saying? Is that uh, China Girl, David Bowie? Or? I, don't, I don't know what it is. China Grove, Doobie Brothers? Um, but then the second story was about semiconductors. Now we used to produce, you know, a big giant chunk of them for the world, and now we produce a tiny chunk of them for the world, and a lot of other people, including uh, China, can hold us all up when they aren't available, as we can see with... Us not being able to get cars out and all kinds of things. So I thought both those stories were troubling around China. Yeah, that second story about the microchips uh, was was troubling on a number of levels, including it made me feel really, really stupid. As there are people now, not very far from the radio ranch, actually, who are producing a, a good. I can't under, I can't comprehend the first instruction for how you make microchips. I mean, I don't. How can those tiny little things possibly? Be at the heart of computing. 
And it, it takes weeks to make them, but they're tiny. Just, uh, I'm glad they're around, I think, but I'm utterly unable to comprehend well, the technology. similar to mining Bitcoin, so... Uh, <laughs> All good. Whatever that means. Anyway, so we got plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, and I got to experience two different attitudes about COVID within 30 miles of each other over the weekend. Just extraordinary. I would have... If, if you'd have told me before the pandemic started that politics would play such a role or um you know it's politics but it's just it's it's hard to tell where politics end and um uh the reason you are uh you know attached to a certain political direction is the way you live your life so it's hard to tell where it's politics and it's just the way you live your life but completely points of different points of view of the world that I just would have never guessed existed yeah, I never saw that coming. Until, I wonder, did that was that uh, true in 1918? Were there nearly religious style differences in how to handle it? I, I think there probably were. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. If you'd have told me, yeah, there's some people are going to really, uh, you know, be anti this or anti that or pro that. I thought, oh, okay, well, there's always you know different views, but that they would be clustered together, you know, towns not far apart with complete same COVID situation, but completely different points of view about how dangerous it is at any given point. Yeah. Really wild, and I've got a stark example of that later. Anyway, it's teamwork that makes the dream work, and that's why we introduce everybody in the squad. There's our board operator, technical director, Michelangelo, pressing button, flipping toggles, pulling levers. Sorry this morning, Michael. Uh, very good. I was at my favorite warehouse club yesterday, and I had to return something. And it's funny because the policy is they'll take back anything, but... The problem with this is that it took me like, I was waiting in line for 30 minutes because everybody has a story about the item as to why it has to be returned. And somebody brought in like a mattress, and the mattress had like stains on it. Durr. And, but they were saying, oh, it's not comfortable. We've been trying it out for a while, and it just, you know, it's just not working out for us. And <laughs> but they're going on and on and on. And then the next person has a story about, it's just crazy. And I finally get to it, I'm, I'm all, store credit. Here's a shirt, just the wrong size. That's all I need. And mm-hmm. I was out of there like in 20 seconds. But, I'm not uh, a crazy person. I ate half this apple and decided, you know, I don't even like apples. Yeah, but I was just <laughs> thinking that the people that work there, the stories that they must have to deal with on a daily basis for well, eight now, hours. Is it necessary to spin some sort of yarn to return stuff? No, there? no, no, no it's, it's, it's not. not. That's what's so funny. I've done that myself. I've done that myself at, at, at these stores where... <laughs> And on the young person, look, like, look, I'm going to take it back no matter care. what. I don't care. <laughs> you know, my elbow was hurting, so I decided to buy a tube of this cream. And I I don't care. <laughs> I got to think it's some sort of guilt. That yeah, you, it you, is. You make or, up some story that you'll feel better about yourself. Well, I if guess. you're over a certain age, back in the day, you did have to have a story. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. You know, I got this home and I tried it out and it lasted like a, a, a week and then it broke. I don't care. I don't care if you had it a week or what. Is it within my, 90 days? Then job, give it to me. I'll give you the money back. My job's to type into the computer what got returned and enter the SKU number. I don't care. But that, I think it's almost a sign of being a good and honest person that you want to explain. Yeah, right. We agreed you would take money. I would get this. Here's why I'm going back on that agreement. I do like the fact that we're kind of creating a social credit score in America with uh, to catch people that abuse that policy. Because I definitely do not. Um. Oh, no, no. But there are people that do. Well, I don't buy things unless I want them. Although I suppose, uh, you know, you, you buy it, you wear it once to the big uh, soiree, and then you return it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, you, you get the TV before Super Bowl weekend, and then you return ah, it after Super Bowl. A classic. I've, I've never done that. but I, I, I want to watch TV after the Super Bowl, too. <laughs> so 
because the because Oscar season is coming up. Yeah. Uh, there's positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Doing quite well. Have a new uh, new show that's grabbed my attention as uh, my my what was then my current favorite ongoing show, uh, Invincible, came to uh, their their season one conclusion on Friday. My new show is uh, Mayor of Easttown. This is on uh, the HBO Max. It is uh, their new kind of Sunday night prestige thing, and as a lot of these tend to be, it's a murder mystery type thing. Uh, small detective, or a, a detective in small... How small, tiny is he? Like five, uh, three feet. feet. No, yeah. it's a normal, the detective is normal size. That <laughs> where's a, a, mere where's a funny of hat, too? <laughs> um, uh, no, Kate Winslet plays a detective from small town Pennsylvania trying to investigate a local murder, and then uh, small towns, everybody knows each other, everything's intertwined. She was uh, uh, lived there her whole life, just really right. cool. Kate um, Winslet, big star, her, 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 her star must have uh, dimmed that she's uh, in a tel- on the television now. So ah, It's not really the state of the industry. Jack, these are these are prestige things, but I will say that some of the best uh, accent work that I've seen in a long time, particularly the the Pennsylvania slash Philadelphia thing, a lot of hey, come on over, and uh, you know that sort of stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Kate, Swin- Kate Winslet, she's a Brit. What's she playing an American for? Isn't that racist or something? Uh, wasn't that many years ago that a big movie star would not be on television because I just made it look like you were desperate or something? Now television stars won't be in movies. Yeah, exactly. It's embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. It means your career is off the rails or you need money or something. Um, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. Oh, I'm looking up the TV screen. Biden hits the road to sell $4 trillion agenda. That's after the $2 trillion already spent. We got some of the numbers behind the numbers on the, what are they calling them? Biden the American Hood. Families Act, or Biden Hood. That's what I was looking oh. for. Bingo. As Biden Hood uh, spends more than anybody's ever spent in the history of this country by far. Wait till you hear the numbers. Anyway, Ugh. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this Monday, May 3rd. It's May already? Rent's due. The year 2021, we're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Any opinions on the relative uh, height of the rent there, Michael? Come on. It's the a rent cherished... gets too damn high. It's a cherished tradition. All right, let's begin the show. Officially now, according to FCC rules and regulations, here we go at Mark. It is the one country in the world that has the military, economic, diplomatic uh, capacity to undermine or challenge the rules-based order that we, uh, uh, we care so much about and are determined uh, to defend. We're still being way too soft on our language. Only country that could, they are, they hope to. That's all they think about every day. And have said so, aloud, repeatedly. But we're still in the hole. They, you know, we wouldn't want to see anybody, you know, get some wild ideas. They have wild (sighs) ideas. They're implementing them. They plan to. Yeah, it's an interesting dance, though, because A... Blinken does not want to, uh, you know, you don't want to show cards before you have to, and you want to keep things at a lower simmer, simmer if you can. Even as you're, what Henry Kissinger once famously said, diplomacy is the art of saying nice doggy while behind your back you hold the large stick. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're trying to say nice doggy. I immediately declare every card as it is dealt to me. I got an ace. <laughs> oh, that's another one. <laughs> Refreshing honesty. Uh, how's mailbag look? Oh, it's nice. Starting the week off in style. Awesome. All next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Benjamin 
looking pretty good for COVID in the United States. Thank God we got the vaccine when we did, before the variants started traveling around the world. Not so good in India, or places where they didn't get the vaccine before the variants traveled around. And uh, we'll check in on that whole story coming up a little bit later. And my amazing uh, experience being not very many miles apart and how incredibly different the attitude is. Yeah, so odd. With the same COVID yeah. statistics. One of the most interesting aspects of the India thing to me is is that they and a couple other regions around the world had really escaped the wrath of the COVID. And everybody had their various theories about the contributing factors, why it wasn't as severe there. And blah, blah, blah. sure enough, just like we saw in region after region, state after state, it was like, no, it's just not your turn yet. Yeah, right. We'll, we'll, we'll check back in a month. Yeah, crazy. Mailbag. We... Hey. Oh, there was some discussion since we took Friday off of doing uh, last week's Clips of the Week today. Yeah, that would be jaunty, huh? Well, I love Sean, Clips of Sean the Week. Sean put all that work in. We ought, to, we ought to air it. Is it good, Sean? It's a cow. Yeah, they're usually good. So, Yeah, maybe next segment. Anyway, our freedom-loving quote of the day sent along by uh, alert listener Shane. It's from John Shedd, a seafaring man, Jack. I'm not sure if the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago was named after him, but I'll bet it was. It's spelled the same. Here's your quote. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. Ah. Oh, I love that. Pretty good? I love that. A human being embraced, mothered, supported, dependent on its government is safe, but that's not what human beings are built for. The quote. Not actually about ships. Moving along. This is a controversial decision on my part. I've cast aside a number of emails, and I'm going to go with a single email because I found it so interesting. Jack, feel free to jump in and comment whenever you like. It's from uh, Julie, frequent correspondent Julie, who lived with her family in France for a number of years. Uh, and says, to be clear, no one's more dismayed at the fast unfolding Francification of America than my husband and I. It's like we're being haunted by the ghosts of our French past. However, out of all the outrageous, infuriating, wasteful, and degenerative atrocities of the French social system, their universal pre-K was the only government program we felt was actually a valid use of our insanely high tax dollars. Okay, well, explain. euros. Uh, one primary benefit of education from age three, and let's be honest, it's essentially socialization, babysitting, and organized coloring and counting, is that all children learn the language and the local culture. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, now... See, the so, French- the, so France was so far down the road of multi-culti uh, that uh, the pre-K was a good thing that at least they were all learning French. <laughs> Wow. Right. Yeah. Now, the French are famously, historically proud of their culture to the point of being a pain in the ass. I just wonder whether the woke crowd in the U.S. will insist on uh, kids not being taught English here. Uh, but anyway, putting that aside, so yeah, all the uh, the little kids, the families pouring across the border, at least maybe they'd learn English. Um, bah, bah, bah. The other major benefit is to bolster early life skills for the children of bad parents, rich or poor. Sadly, we can't stop people who really shouldn't have children from doing so. The parents who are going to read to their children and take them on walks and point out the birds and the trees and what you guys were talking about. We'll stop to them doing about- that once the government provides it. That's the problem with this. Well, she said they're going to do that regardless. I don't. Not over time. Not over time. The government takes care of your kids' crowd will take over once that is uh, the way of the world. 
Well, and you know they'll start to indoctrinate them as early as they can. It's the classic, uh, you subsidize something, you get more of it, you know, you, you cut it, you get less of it, to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she says, but the parents who are crappy and wouldn't teach their children anything and turn them into criminals, uh, there's at least some uh, lessening yeah. of that. I appreciate that, but I'm not buying that argument. I mean, there's all kinds of things that... Uh... There's all kinds of things you could approach that way that would seem crazy to me. Because some people do the wrong thing. We're all going to do this in crazy, crazy expensive, bad thing. Right. And th- it. th- it's, it would be an interesting thing, thing to study the effect over the short term, the medium term, and the long term. I think over the short term, it's a very good thing. Uh, the long term, what you're talking about, people expect the government to teach their children, to raise their children. Yeah, even even that puts you in a very bad place. Even all your lefty shows yesterday were were, were stating it. They're stating it with happiness, but uh, that this is a complete remake of society. What Joe Biden is proposal proposing a remake of society, remake remake of the uh, relationship between people and their government, and so everybody's on board that this is a big big deal. We'll have to talk about this more later. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. When I step out on my balcony, the first thing I smell is smoke. There are massive cremations that are taking place across the city and across this country. So many people are dying of coronavirus that it's creating these huge clouds of smoke that just hang over the cities. We're experiencing the worst crisis that coronavirus pandemic has produced anywhere at any time. Just about everybody I know has somebody in their family who's sick. That's a reporter from ABC This Week yesterday from India. And uh, as he said there, this is the worst situation for COVID at any point since COVID started. This isn't just like it's their turn. It's beyond that. Nobody has had it as bad as India's got it right now. And I'm telling you, it could have been us how much did we dodge the bullet by? Two months? A month? Couple of weeks? Who knows of getting uh, the vaccine out before these variants hit? Well, let's hear a little more from this reporter and then we can discuss. And what's really scary is the healthcare system is collapsing around us. The hospitals are totally full. They're running out of medicine. They're running out of oxygen. People are racing around the city trying to get help. There are people who are dying on the streets because they can't find even the most basic things. And as we as we speak, the cases are growing. The government is reporting almost 400,000 infections, new infections every day, and maybe 4,000 deaths. But all the information we're getting is that's a gross understatement. So the problem here is way bigger than I think anybody realizes at this moment. And there's just this sense of fear circulating across the city right now. Yeah, the, the numbers wow. are almost pointless, but... Um... Yeah, they think a variant I hadn't heard of is is at work. Some people call it the double mutant, um, but it's B one six one seven, super severe, super uh, spreadable, contagious. And India figured, well, we, we we weathered it. We just didn't get it. A lot of people outdoors. We got a young population. We're not fat like the U.S. We did great. Okay, everybody, the uh, restrictions are off. And then this B one six one seven came to town, and just it's killing everybody. 
hundreds of thousands. They have no idea. They've said a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, two hundred thousand officially. It could easily be double that, and it's spreading so fast. You know, yeah. the ultimate number is just grim speculation. Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever even know. Um, but thank God we got the vaccine out before the variants started making their way around the United States. I mean, that's one historic dodging a bullet right there. Um, so COVID attitudes, as we were talking about earlier, one thing I would have not predicted going into this COVID thing is that whether you're a red county or blue county, red state or blue state would have mattered if a pandemic hit. It just it wouldn't have occurred to me. But we all know that it has made a huge difference. See, Florida left schools and everything open. California shut everything down. Both ended up with the roughly the same results, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, and of, not to belabor the point, but it's red town, blue town, red neighborhood, blue neighborhood. Yeah. With completely different uh, ways of dealing with it. So I uh, live around a town that is um, very, very blue and... Uh, things are pretty closed and everybody's been masked up for over a year and things are still closed. Still, like, a lot of things are still Zoom. Uh, things that are Zoom, <clears throat> I went to, uh, I experienced yesterday, 40 miles away. Not only not Zoom, but indoors no mask. I walked into this room with my mask on and sat down, and it took me like 15 minutes before I realized I'm the only person in here in a mask, and I feel like a weirdo, and I took it off. Because I'm vaccinated, I got to tell you, if I weren't vaccinated, I think I would have left my mask on. I think the Zoom-only if, if, uh, crowd is is out of whack. I think they're being too cautious at this point. And I think the we're indoors without masks crowd is a little early. I'd like somewhere in between here, personally. Wow, yeah. I mean, I we all have to make our own decisions. But, and Hanson, uh, our producer, said he was in a pizza joint where everybody inside was unmasked. So, Well, there's no danger of COVID once you've sat down. Everybody knows that. Well, that's now, true. walking in, oh, my God, that's, that's the COVID gauntlet. That's a decent point is, you know, the difference is the walking in because all restaurants, if they're open, you get to take it off when you sit down. So Stupid. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was, I was, I mean, how could, how could you have such great differences in attitude from we can't even be in a park with masks on to we can be indoors without masks? Mm-hmm. How could you have that great a variety of a view of things? You know, what an had... interesting beast the, the human being is. Yeah, if we were going to talk about it for about 15 minutes, I think we could probably lay it out. You know, it's just a, a, a philosophy of life, being super cautious versus, you know, being willing to take more risks. You got the whole just so tiring Trump slash anti-Trump deal. Yeah, I was going to say, there's some of the lifestyle stuff, but a lot of it is projecting your values. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is that, because I know I hear people say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we certainly advocate for what we think is the right thing, there are a lot of things I figure, well, you just make your own decision. I don't particularly, it's not my business what you do. I will tell you this, though, those of you who are hesitant about the vaccines for some sometimes dumb reasons, sometimes perfectly legitimate reasons, uh, when these new variants come to town, and they will, things could go dark again in a big hurry. We are not past it as a country. Yeah, so uh, I was talking to somebody. I'll keep this vague. I was talking to somebody uh, in the area I was talking about where masklessness is now a thing and a family who just got the COVID, like the whole family practically. 
mom, dad, kids, that sort of thing. And they all thought that they had had it or it was out of town or whatever. And um, you don't know. Not that that's necessarily a danger to you, but you don't know which, you know, mutation is coming to town. So. Right, the, the classic, you know, there's a tenth of one percent chance that even if I'm fat and sixty, that I'll I'll be seriously ill. That's tr- that's still true for the classic one. It's different for the variants. But uh, well, you know, the majority you... of COVID in America now is the British variant. So we're not. True. So all our stats that we spout, and almost everybody spouts, are the original original COVID variant, which is not the COVID people are getting now. So we don't really know the numbers yet. Um, the British variant's only been around for a couple months. Stop! Wow. wow. Was that Dr. Fauci? Uh, plus this, this new funky Indian one I was talking about. So I just, and what I was going to say is to those of you who are not getting vaccinated. Multi-armed COVID variant. <laughs> huh? Nice. Uh, nice. I think that's probably uh, cancelable. I think we should cancel Jack okay. for even a vague reference to various Indian gods. Okay. Uh, there, uh, yeah, if you've been uh, calculating the odds of this, that, and the other, you need to uh, redo your algorithms because these uh, the new variants are sure. well, they're different. Sure. Yeah. How so, about you? You uh, you're vaccinated also, but <clears throat> you okay with being indoors? Lots of strangers, no masks at this point. I I would have just assumed we were wearing masks, honestly. Uh, I'm I'm fine with it because I'm fully vaccinated. No, I said if you weren't vaccinated. Oh, 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 no, I would not be comfortable with that at all. Yeah, interesting. I'm just old enough that, you know, I'd, I'd be a little uncomfortable. Well, what's the downside? I sit here with a mask on. It's not that hard. It doesn't bother me. And I don't mind, luckily, I don't mind really if somebody thinks, it must be a Biden supporter or something because I got a mask on. I'm not, I'm not treating the pandemic as if it's a projection of how I vote necessarily. Jack actually has a poster of Kamala Harris in his bedroom, and sometimes when he looks at it, he cries. I'm a Bernie bro. <laughs> Beautiful. So back to India. Very interesting to me. The uh, India is divided into very technologically advanced, very modern cities, big cities. Uh, it reminds me kind of of like the U.S. in the 1940s when you had people just whisked to the top of the Empire State Building in Manhattan, 100 stories up in an elevator, and where your dad grew up, they were pooping in outhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in India, out in the countryside, uh, Grandma dies or, or uh, Uncle Narendra uh, gets the COVID and passes away or whatever, you just bury them or, or cremate them. You don't report it to anybody. There's no official documentation, nothing. You just bury them. I, I actually kind of like the whole, why would I have to tell the government something in my family died and what, what business is theirs? I kind of like that. But. I, I, you know, I do too in a way, although that's seen as uh, cavemanish. Uh, I, I read in, in one piece that, yeah, the very, the, the most basic thing a government must do is figure out who's alive and dead and, and probably how it happened. But keep your eye on India. Crazy. I mean, it is the nightmare scenario we were worried about where people are just dying in a hallway, a hospital. They can't get oxygen. There's not enough oxygen. The rest of it's terrible. Yuck. Speaking of Bernie, he's arguing and leading a uh, crowd who are pushing Biden to make the vaccine manufacturers. You give away all this information for free to India so that they can create their own vaccine and deal with this horrifying crisis. Now, the uh, uh, if you're a soft head, you might think, well, of course they should do that. But um, the uh, more rational among us, I think, realize that if you take away all possible uh, profit motive 
for developing these vaccines, the next pandemic that comes along, they won't bust their tail to be the first to get a vaccine out. Because nope. I think, what's the point? Yeah. Why are we going to yeah. spend gazillions of dollars in research development to, to come up with something that we give away? There are those who think the deal our government signed with the various manufacturers was a little too sweethearty, and you can argue that if you want, but uh, they have to have an upside. Sure. To spend zillions of dollars and dedicate their entire company to, you know, achieving that goal, obviously. Oh, uh, so back to the, the question of Biden and the gigantoid American Families Act or whatever it's called. Uh, his chief economic advisor was on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. I thought she did a terrible job of defending why it's needed. Just awful. Want to play that for you coming up. Yeah, and we can point out some of the numbers um, uh, adjusted for inflation. How big is Biden's agenda compared to other moments in history? Uh, you might be shocked by this when you hear it. Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It was 40 years ago when Ronald Reagan told the nation, government is not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. Ever since, presidents, both Republicans and even Democrats, have played down the role of big government. Until now. President Biden is pushing $4 trillion in new spending and almost that much in new taxes. What happens to his plans over the next few months will tell us a lot about where our nation is headed. Yeah. I'd say mm-hmm. so. Chris, Chris Walls yesterday from uh, uh, his show he does, Fox News Sunday. Yeah. Y- you know what was interesting about that segment? It was good. It was a good interview. He interviewed, uh, what's her name, Rouse? What's her first name? We've we got to have that. Got to have that. Call her Jenny. Lady, lady, lady. Lady Rouse. Uh, interviewing her about the spending plan and why it was necessary and that sort of thing. We'll play a, a couple of chunks of it coming up. But it, it's pretty clear that the whole hanging it on the coronavirus, well, this is necessary because we're a nation that's suffering. When you look at the unemployment numbers and, and all of the economic numbers, I, I never mention the stock market because that's, you know, it's, it's, that's not the economy. But really every single economic indicator is not only rising, it's surging. People you can't find people to hire. This is Cecilia Rouse on uh, Fox News Sunday. Four, I'm sorry, 42. That's wrong. 43, Sean. Don't you think that we're going to be less competitive if we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world as opposed to in the middle of the industrial world? Doesn't that just necessarily say so, we become less competitive? So we don't, of course, we don't want to, uh, to you know, hamper U.S. competitiveness. You know, to the contrary, the idea is to ensure that corporations are paying their fair share, to button up some of the loopholes which have been really not, which have meant that corporations were actually uh, putting more money offshore, um, off of the U.S. soil. Um, and having a global minimum tax so that we're working with our trading partners, working with the rest of the world, so that corporations are pairing their fair share worldwide. Uh, we do not want to be uh, hampering corporations, but we do want to ensure that they're paying their fair share as well. So let me hit you with the numbers before Joe reacts to that. We used to be kind of in the middle of all your big industrial nations in terms of our tax plan, or we are currently. Mm-hmm. If Biden's proposal goes through, we will be... The highest in the entire world at 32.34%. 
Well, among the industrialized countries, yeah. yeah. And um, literally uh, the highest taxes in the world. And she's making the argument, well, I'll let you respond. Well, uh, one note I made was she used the, the term paying their fair share like right. 27 times right. through the course of the uh um, the, the interview, and never explained exactly who determined that the highest rate in the world was fair. And then the other part to decode, in case you're not familiar with this policy, is then she says, well, we're going to uh, go around the world, and essentially, uh, the term is uh, institute a policy of minimum corporate taxation. We're going to go around the world and force other countries to raise their taxes this high, too. It's kind of like the climate change thing. We're gonna we're gonna suffer ourselves, hoping that by doing that, the other the rest of the world will say, "Yeah, we're gonna do that too. We're gonna lead the way." Well, maybe that works, but yeah, probably well, not. We're gonna enact a gigantic socialist government uh, set of programs, and uh, to pay them, we're gonna have the highest taxes in the world, and then we're gonna browbeat, strong arm, and 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 bully every country in the world to to doing the same thing. I, I don't think it's a great policy. Let's see this next clip. Oh, uh, he's asking, Chris Wallace is asking, as we're coming out of any sort of uh, pandemic uh, economic problems, things are actually looking quite good. This is what I was thinking of before the other clip. But uh, and, and what about inflation? Go ahead, 44. Can you guarantee with all this spending that we're not going to have a, a new round of overheating the economy and serious inflation? These are very serious concerns, and we know that coming out of, of an extremely deep recession, that there are going to be bumps along the way. Uh, so we expect that there have been supply chain disruptions that will cause some transitory increases in prices. We know that there are some places where employers are struggling to find workers because, let's face it, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Some workers would like to go back to work, but they don't have child care. Their schools are not open. And the, the pandemic is still out of control in certain parts of our country. So when we get to the other side of this pandemic, I fully expect that our labor market will come back and be flourishing. That said, we do expect some transitory price increases. The Fed expects that as well. Uh, we do not see evidence that at the moment that those are uh, have become what we call de-anchored so that we expect runaway inflation. But that said, we know we have to be vigilant and we are watching the data. Uh, but for the time being, we expect at most transitory inflation. That all That right, is what we right, expect right, coming right, out of a big right. recession. Yeah, she was a word salad person. It was interesting. Um, nobody ever makes this sort of comment, but a, a lot of Trump's people would get you know, they'd go on these Sunday shows and then people talk about what, you know, lame brains they were. She was not impressive at all. Not at all impressive. You're like supposed to be the one of the best of the best. You're an economic advisor to the president. And you're well, just throwing out word salads of fair share and that sort of stuff. Her, her main fault is she's not a particularly gifted liar. If you're a fan of crap, there were several different kinds of crap in there to enjoy. First of all, uh, suggesting that employers can't find workers because, well, uh, we're in a pandemic and uh, they can't get child care. All right, number one, you can't get workers because the benefits are too generous and they're making more money from the government than they were at work. And number two, uh, the reason the kids aren't in school is because the teachers' unions, which own you and have the leash around your neck, uh, won't let the kids back in in public schools. Yeah, so. your, your own uh, advisors, Fauci and others, have said schools should be open. So then the kids would be in school and you wouldn't have that argument. But anyway, so uh, they uh, quoted Larry Summers on Fox yesterday, who's a Democratic um, economist who worked under Obama and Clinton, He's talking about the, how the, the early signs of inflation are always this. Labor shortages in food services and retail and spikes in the price of lumber and housing. Uh, hello. Ding. Yeah, that's troubling. Also, yeah. in case you didn't know this, so how much time have I got, Michael? Do I have time to work this in? I hope I do. So 
Uh, yeah, I can do it. Um, so uh, Biden put out a $2 trillion plan to battle COVID that was 5% about COVID. And now we've got another roughly $2 trillion plan about uh, whatever it's about. Oh, Families. In- infrastructure, the infrastructure package that is 10% about infrastructure. <laughs> so that's what we've done. So, But a total of $6 trillion, $6 trillion, even CNN. Uh, it says it's $4 trillion now on top of the two he spent. So $6 trillion. The New Deal programs coming out of the Great Depression, adjusted for inflation, didn't even add up to $1 trillion. It was $856 billion. So it's six times as big as what the government did to get out of the Great Depression and uh, three times as big as what we did to get out of the Great Recession in '08. I mean, this is so much bigger than anything else we've ever done in our nation's history. It's not even close. And the excuse is, well, there was a pandemic. So, for goodness sakes, get vaccinated just to remove the Biden administration's excuse for turning the United States into France. I mean, it's a, an increasingly ridiculous excuse. The the crisis that they're exploiting is is about over, I hope. But uh, do what you can to end it. Seems, seems to be working so far. I'm hoping that the word is seeping out there of what's going on here. Uh, the economy is doing pretty well, and the pandemic is doing pretty well. So why are we spending trillions of dollars? Six times the New Deal? Good Lord. Armstrong and Getty.